Welcome to A Little Knowledge is a Dangerous Thing, the podcast. And I have a special guest with me this time. It's Jess Hunt, my daughter-in-law. And she is uh, in Clovis, New Mexico with Jeff, who is our youngest son, uh, who is serving in the Air Force at Cannon Air Force Base. You guys live on the base. And um, we wanted to talk a little bit because you have a new... Um, a new job, a new vocation, something you've been wanting to do for a while, but now that the uh, kids have come along, you're able to get that going. So let's talk about being an elementary school teacher. Yes. Tell us, uh, tell us where you teach and what kinds of kids, uh, grade level and kinds of kids that you're dealing with. So I teach at Barry Elementary School in Clovis, and um, I teach first graders, um, Majority of the students that attend Barry do come from the base housing, so it is a lot of military children and um, a few of the surrounding neighborhood children attend there as well. So it's a quite a it's a diversity. So, being that they're kids coming from the base, and I know that you've been there for a while, a couple of years now already, right? Yep, since twenty twenty. So, but people do come in and out. So have you seen any rotation on the kids because of that happening? Yes, um, we do get quite the rotation. I've already lost one student at about nine weeks into the school year. We're, in th- we're currently in the second nine-week um, session. Mm-hmm. And during the first nine weeks, I lost one student. And here coming up soon, I will be losing another student. Nobody coming in yet? I did. I received one new student who is not military um, and they are only Spanish speaking. So that's also been quite interesting. That'll be a bit of a challenge. You yeah. speak Spanish. That's helpful. Yes. Um, tell us uh, what your day is like being a, a new teacher. So we start the day off at 745 in the morning. The kids will get breakfast um, and then they come into the classroom, sit down and eat their breakfast. I give them about 30 minutes to eat their breakfast. They um, have to they eat throughout the morning announcements and as soon as the morning announcements are done which is usually around 805 they have 10 more minutes to finish up eating and throw all of their trash away uh, which requires a lot of assistance because they have cereal with milk and <laughs> so it's the mornings are a little bit chaotic um, we go right after that we go right into morning um, it's called calendar math and they'll sit at the carpet, we do some math, we sit, we move back to our desks, um, do more math, than, and then the kids have three recesses throughout the day. So all of the, um, I guess, all of the, um, what are they called? They do math, ELA, and then they do STEM. And so in between that, we split up the recesses. Okay. Where do they, is this like out in the play yard and that type of thing? Mm-hmm. Yep. If the weather permits, because Clovis has not so nice weather, we will go outside um, to play on the playground. And then if the weather isn't good, we will do activities inside in the classroom. So you've got first graders. Yes. And why did you want to teach first graders? Because I, I've always really enjoyed being around really little kids, um, but 
I feel like because Evan is close to their age range, I can relate better to the little ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're still in, an, in a point in life where school is still exciting. And so they look forward to seeing their teacher and doing, you know, they're not too cool yet for certain activities. And um, I just gravitate a lot, I guess, towards the smaller kids. For the older kids, I feel like I can't relate very well to them or find things that are relatable to them as easily as the little ones. Anybody propose to you to teach 6th, 7th, 8th, or anything like that? Yes. My principal just asked me recently if I would be interested in ever teaching middle school, and I said no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I think I was pretty well behaved when I was in first grade. Not as much in junior high. No. Although, you know, I was... And, they, and they're really no. smelly at that point. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so first grade is good. And you plan to stay in first grade and just have different kids come through. Yes. I assume you don't hold kids back. Um, we can. Yeah. It's a process to retain them. Um, New Mexico is okay with reta- retention and doing what's truly what's best for the child. Um, we try to do a lot of interventions to prevent from having to retain them. So at the end of the day, we split the students up into um, groups based on their academic level. Mm-hmm. And so all of the first grade and kindergarten will split up between teachers. So one teacher will take the English language learner students. Another teacher will take the kids who need a lot of interventions to catch up um, to their grade level. And then I take the higher... Um, the kids who are higher in academics. So we do a lot of games, a lot of um, activities. And I get to have Evan in my class at that time because he is one of the higher kids in kindergarten. So they move him up to first grade. That's awesome. Now you said that you have a new kid who is Spanish speaker only. Yes. Um, which will change, obviously, over time. But how do you deal with a situation like that during the day? And I, and at the end of the day, I understand, you know, that that child would go to the person that deals with in English learners. But, but you have a lot of day that happens before that happens. So how is that working? Yes, and it's it's been quite a challenge. And fortunately for him and his family, I'm the only first grade teacher who speaks Spanish. Oh, okay. So... It was by luck that he was put into my classroom, and um, I do a lot of translating. Um, I'm technically not supposed to be translating for him because our school is not considered a bilingual school. Yes. But my principal did say, you do what you got to do to help this child. Um, So I do a lot of translating. I will give the, the lesson in English, and once my class, the rest of the classroom is going and they've, you know, they're able to independently work together or my um, EA, my educational assistant, she'll walk around and help anybody that needs help. I will move over to his desk and I will explain everything in Spanish and try to get as much as I can translate it to him so that he can also do the work. I remember that there was a lot of controversy about that and that some hardliners felt like immersion is the only way to go. And, um, but um, 
I suppose there may be some merit to that, but just saying that you just throw a kid in there and have nobody that can speak the language uh, seems like it's uh, somewhat um, backward to me. Yeah. You need to help them somehow. Yeah. And so I think it also depends on the person's personality because I can see it sometimes in his face that he just looks like he's completely drowning. Mm -hmm. And if I were to not translate for him, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Right. Um, And he doesn't, you can see it in his face when he's overwhelmed completely. And when he is completely overwhelmed, he'll shut down on me. Yeah. So that's when I need to take a step back and figure out where he got lost along in the lesson and where I need to break it down a little bit better in Spanish. So how do you deal, maybe you have this or not, but how do you deal with special needs students? Um, it's, you have to find a lot of different tricks to um, help because not there are no two children who are the same. So, for example, I have one student who isn't has not been diagnosed with any type of special needs but is in the process of getting a diagnosis. His parents are. And um, at the beginning of the year, I struggled a little bit because I didn't know this at that point. And so I would really get on to them about doing their work and keep writing, put your pencil to the paper, and they would push back. And so um, as the weeks went by, I started to feel overwhelmed because I felt like I wasn't getting through to them. And then one day I just said, I got to figure it out. I got to find out what's going to help this child. And so, for example, if he has a lot of problems on his um, worksheet, I've he gets overwhelmed. He's very, very, very smart, and he knows the answers to everything we've done. Um, I would definitely consider him advanced for first grade. But if he sees a lot of problems on a paper, he says he cannot do it, and he does not know the answers. Um, so what I did is I folded up a piece of cardstock, I cut out a little window, and I have it cover the paper so he only sees two to three problems at a time. He'll And he, that's fine. He answers those no problem, and he moves the window himself. And so I've learned, you know, that he, he needs things handed to him step by step. That's a clever way to go about that. Um, everything all at once is is the problem. Yes. At least at this stage. Yes. And so you literally have a cutout so that he can block out the rest of the things on that page and work on single items. Yes. Now that makes a lot of sense. Of course, it could be different with another kid. Exactly. And so for every, I have probably about three or four kids who I've been working to figure out what I need to do to help them be successful in the classroom. Did you anticipate that this was going to be a thing when yes. you started? Yes, I did. And was there uh, school topics covering this type of thing? Mm, there are school topics. So I did take a course on specifically children on the, on the autism spectrum disorder um, and ADHD. But the information the books give is very, it doesn't really relate to real life because no two children are the same. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
Everybody's an individual. Yes. So, um, but that's really getting somebody like that in that situation uh, off on the right foot is so huge because you could lose years of somebody who is not being taught in a way that gets through, and then, then you have maybe a lifelong issue. Yep, so we did. I did take, um, at the beginning of the school year when we do onboarding um, for the district where they give you all of the paperwork and, you know, have you, they tell you what the, how the district works and all of that stuff. We did have a speaker who, spe- who focuses on the special needs kids at, in the district, and he talked about an author um, who wrote a book called Normal Sucks. I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. this person himself was on the, I think he is on the AD, I think he has ADHD. And so he talked about a teacher who didn't let him give up and found ways to help him succeed in the classroom. And because of that, now he is an author and wrote a book. So that stuck with me more than the stuff I learned about how to so-called reach those children. And that book was called Normal Sucks? Normal Sucks. Isn't that interesting? Well, that um, I find that to be amazing. I love teachers. Um, nothing that I ever, ever entertained, just <laughs> at any grade level. Um, just not for me. I'm too impatient. And um, so I, I just love the fact that you're into this. You love it. It's your first year. It's my first year. <clears throat> Probably end up with, uh, um, I don't know that the situation gets easier, but you're probably doing a lot of things for the first time that you either learn from yourself that will help in the second year and so on, or even literally stuff that you may have made or bought or brought in uh, that you'll be able to use a year from now too, right? Yep. I'm I'm excited to go into already the next school year because there was a lot of unknowns at the beginning of this year. So the beginning was very overwhelming because I've never been around a group of 21, 22 first graders. And so learning the verbiage and being able to, you know, you have to, teach them what the words what things actually mean so there are different types of punctuation what do you use the period on mm-hmm. you know declarative or imperative or and just learning that type of verbiage the academic vocabulary and becoming confident in teaching it was i guess the biggest challenge to me more so than dealing with behaviors so i have to ask you about evan we did a podcast story time by evan yes and um, and literally, just so people know, he's five, five. and he's in kindergarten. And you uh, picked a book off of a website before we started that he had never seen before. So this wasn't something that he's read 20 times. Correct. We did read it once before we uh, started the podcast, and it seemed like he got it. Um, how do you explain that? I I can't. I think he was just born loving letters. Um, He was identifying uppercase and lowercase letters a lot earlier than most kids do. And so I think he was around 20 months old when he was able to truly identify uppercase and lowercase letters. Um, And he was able to recite the alphabet backwards at two and a half. um, 
Jeff does put on, he's always put on the captions on the TV, and we did read that there's something to watching TV with captions on and learning to read. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, maybe a little bit of that. We do read to him every night. We always have. But I genuinely think he just has a love for reading. How does his classroom experience work then? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, he may be in the top tier of the uh, kids in the kindergarten class. What What does his teacher do to manage that, if you want to put it that way? So he is, his teacher told me that he is the official classroom reader. So he will read instructions. He will read any stories um, because he, you know, everything that they're currently doing, he already knows how to do it all. So, and that would be the challenge. And that is the challenge, which is great for him because he, it's helped build his confidence. And um, I think while academically he is highly achieving socially, he needed a little bit of encouraging on how to socialize with his peers. And um, he's just always been very shy. Right. And, and you have to deal with both of those situations. You can't just, you know, he could probably do first or second grade work, I'm sure. But that wouldn't be a situation socially that would make a lot of sense. Correct. So you have to balance those things. Yep. And so pairing him with first or second graders, I think would be a bit much. Um, and very overwhelming for him, whereas being with other children his age, I think, helps his maturity. Right. Well, that's good. That's awesome. And, hey, thanks. This is uh, Thanksgiving time, and, and you guys are here in Dallas, and, and thanks for stopping by to do a live podcast. We can do more of these uh, over the phone, but it's really nice just to have the in-person back and forth. So thanks very much, Jess, and I wish you the best of luck, and I hope you guys end up in a short period of time finding a more glamorous place to <laughs> to <laughs> do a couple, three more years uh, other than Clovis. Not, not knocking down Clovis, but it does it kind of by itself. Yep. Well, thanks for having us, and we're excited to have some turkey tomorrow. Absolutely. And everybody ought to remember this, that 